Welcome to Bits About Books, the home for conversations with authors of breakthrough books on sales, marketing and business. Founders, entrepreneurs and individual professionals, we all need to keep track of ideas that are helping create our today and tomorrow. Bits About Books will strive to find those books and speak to their authors, go behind the scenes and understand what inspired the authors to write the books that they did and how they went about doing so. Through our conversations, we hope to gain insights that will help us to get the most out of our efforts. I'm your host Shubhanjan Sarkar, founder of Pitchlink, the next generation buyer-seller engagement platform where our mission is to make buying easy. Welcome to Bits About Books. Thank you for your time and for joining us in this session. I have a favor to ask. While you continue to listen to the podcast, please leave a comment or rating at iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts from. I personally look at each comment and will give you a shout out to each of you in our following episodes. It means a lot to hear from you. Our guests today are Julia Nimchinsky and Justin Michael, co-founders of Hype Cycle and co-authors of their latest bestseller, Reinventing Virtual Events, How to Turn Ghost Webinars into Hybrid Go-to-Market Simulations that Drive Explosive Attendance. We've really faced all of the problems that any marketer or any seller, any GTM or might face. When you have exact blueprint in the book, how to do it, even, you know, as deep as prospecting messages. What we're laying out is if you just take static webinar and what do you do to it? So it's not that you're going to insert all this tech or graphics or gimmicks or sizzle. It's just changing the format so people are interacting more. And so this came from Julia looking at the T-shaped marketing graph, which I'd never seen, by the way. You come to this framework and philosophy in marketing that there's this T-shape, like literally T-letter, and you go deep in one uh, function or two functions max. And everything else is complementary. So we thought, why not expand it to go to market? If, you know, I'm a marketer, I can know two function really well and everything else can be complementary. So obviously for sellers and marketers, it's, you know, the, the most objectively relevant cross functions are sales and marketing, but you can go product, like engineering and design or customer success and products, or finance and design. Julia is an entrepreneur, former CMO, and editor-founder of GTM Mag. She is the CEO and co-founder of HypeCycle.com. Julia invented the world's first GTM simulations where top B2B revenue leaders cross-trained their skills with VCs. Julia has built and scaled several successful B2B projects and writes prolifically about disruptive GTM trends. Justin Michael has set records over the past decade for full-cycle revenue creation in cutting-edge ad tech, martech, and SaaS startups, both as an individual contributor and global team leader, leading teams of field-based and inside sellers. Justin's acclaimed sales pipeline creation methodology, the Justin Michael method, is used by some of the most successful ventures globally and has driven hundreds of millions in pipeline. He lives in California, where he consults leading corporations on top-of-funnel revenue operations. He also achieved a prestigious 10x award from a top 20 tier 1 VC-backed Seattle startup. Now, on to this insightful session on reinventing virtual events with Julia Nimchinsky and Justin Michael. 
Justin and Julia, welcome to Bits About Books. I'm delighted to have you in the show. I know we did a bit of, bit of back and forth, but I'm really glad that you could join me from two different parts of the world. So thanks uh, for joining. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very excited to actually listen to what you are talking about because uh, virtual events became a thing in 2020, as we all know. Uh, it was not so much uh, sort of popular or go-to uh, device for, for companies, but it has sort of changed since then. And you have written a definitive book on virtual events. And I cannot wait to hear what made you do that. We wrote a book because personally, I lived through the pain of sales and marketing alignment. And I never met a seller or a marketer that haven't experienced that pain. And, you know, although it's a book about virtual events, it's way deeper. And um, if you'll have a chance to read it, you'll, you'll see why I'm saying that. But essentially, yeah, it's all about sales and marketing alignment. It's all about, you know, disrupting that old good way of in-person events and eventually good old webinar format. Um, and that was the motivation since we did that and um, we generated, you know, amazing pipelines for doing it and got our success in the industry and we wanted to share it. Uh, yeah, so uh, I've been part of uh, <laughs> being a part of a lot of uh, podcasts that go in a predictable way, you know, and I think um, it's been very exciting working with Julia just to reimagine this format and having been a part of a tech stack book. What's really cool about this book is really how she invented kind of a new framework, a new way to look at the interaction points of what's happening on a webinar to make it interactive, um, regardless of production value. And so we've been able to go a long way with that. So writing about the games and the philosophy behind it and putting out a toolkit to do something similar for event marketing teams, it, it's been really eye-opening. You know, I can't say I was that interested in marketing when I met Julia, but she, you know, I think I've helped, you know, we kind of cross-trained each other, if that makes sense. So what came first? Was it the the games uh, or was it the book i mean I, i'm i'm suspecting it's the games first but how 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 did it actually sort of uh, come to a point where we where you said that i think there is something here and it needs to be a book it's a good question we're do doers so obviously the games were first um it all started you know since i met justin I was working in a company that was evangelizing guided selling. And I did a series of interviews with sellers five years ago. And um, back at the time, as you can imagine, it was really early for guided selling to become a go-to category. Um, people in the market were only adopting sequencers and had to be created. And I had this insight that our target audience, VPs of sales, actually wanted to call call. They were watching call calls. They were doing call calls. They were interested how to motivate their teams to become better at call calling. And so I 
became an entrepreneur, I convinced the CEO to launch this creative project within that startup. And I wanted to find the best call caller in the B2B world. And apparently, no doubt, it's Justin Michael. So I hired Justin. Um, he evangelized that project. And part of it was this massive first in B2B cold calling competition where Aaron Ross was competing with sellers from Gong, like Sarah Brazier and Gabriel Blackwall. It wasn't a simulation. It was just, you know, real world live cold calling with a dialer. And it became crazy successful, crazy viral. Um, everyone was talking about it. And um, then we partnered on a couple of other projects with Justin, and I invited him to found this company together. Um, Justin, how, how was that experience for you? Yeah, so, I mean, it's like the old expression with sales leaders is, you know, we have a hammer and we look for a nail. Um so I was just like, well, great. Now we can throw the greatest cold call competitions all the time. And Julia's like, well, that'll be a very narrow audience and narrow sponsors and more novel. So um, yeah, getting to step out of my comfort zone, I just learned a lot about what I didn't know. Like, you know, elements of account-based marketing, PLG, RevOps. I've, I've dabbled in a lot of these areas, but it's been really cool bringing some of the best of the best marketers on the show and just being a fly on the wall for these simulations. Um, so I definitely want to get into the format, but yeah, it's been a huge journey and learning experience. I think I just developed a lot more respect for what Julia does as an entrepreneur and you know marketer and just marketing in general, because I'm just so one-dimensional with sales. So, so this is sort of a gamification of a, of a webinar, so to say, um, just, just to put it simply. Uh, and gamification is in vogue. People are into games, so I can I can see the trend of thought. One question is how replicable is this? So in this case, it became I I, I think it became possible. I, I'll not say easy. It it became possible to actually structure something in the form of a game. And being who you are, Justin, and being who you are, Julia, you could get uh, important names involved thereby making it legit and thereby making it acceptable and so on. But how replicable is this for other businesses? Uh, if, you, if you touch upon that, and then we'll go back to the book. I'm happy to speak to that. It's very replicable. There is no complications here. And um, if you can imagine, you know, we, we didn't have that much of a cloud in the beginning. It seems that way. But if you start running competitions monthly, you'll notice really, you know, fast that B2B is not that big. And you'll start, we featured every name in B2B in two years, like every name you can think of. And every time it's been pretty challenging in that, you know, people have their lives going on. They can cancel us moment. They can, so, um, we've really faced all of the problems that any marketer or any seller, any GTM or my face. Um, we have exact blueprint in the book, how to do it. Um, even, you know, as deep as prospecting messages, um, the whole process is basically, you know, shared there. So. Yeah. So we put out a framework in the book, like, Oh no, not another acronym, but just called it games. And it talks about, Right, gamification, activation, um, 
I could give you all the acronyms, but basically what we're laying out is if you just take static webinar and what do you do to it? So it's not that you're going to insert all this tech or graphics or gimmicks or sizzle. It's just changing the format so people are interacting more. And so this came from Julia looking at the T-shaped marketing um, graph, which I had never seen, by the way, where you kind of, you know, work across the skills. Maybe you want to explain the T-shaped GTM, Julia, because that helps understand it. So basically, um, as you can imagine, there is no universal way to become a seller or to become a marketer. Yeah, you've got university for marketing and, you know, it's in a little better situation than compared to sales. But still, um, when you start working in a startup, you see that, you know, what you study there and what you're dealing with daily, it's a little different, let's say so. So um I tried every course possible online and as much as every marketer or seller, um, every content piece. And essentially, you come to this framework and philosophy in marketing that there's this T shape, like literally T letter, and you go deep in one uh, function or two functions max. And everything else is complementary. So we thought, why not expand it to go to market? If, you know, I'm a marketer, I can know two function really well and everything else can be complementary. So obviously for sellers and marketers, it's, you know, the, the most objectively relevant cross functions are sales and marketing, but you can go products like engineering and design. Or customer success and products or finance and design like it's you can play with it as much as you like it's like sort of i mean I, i'm as you're saying it's like choosing your major in your undergrad or your exactly. i mean you you get a lot of general uh you know information and you learn a lot of general stuff and then you choose one or two like you say and and go deep and and that's what sort of becomes your post-grad uh uh, you know, subject. So I, I, I can see the I can see the relation of of how it sort of uh, pans. Uh, I didn't know that it is called T shaped uh, approach. Um, so so coming back to the to the book, at some point during this uh, GTM games, as as they were getting executed and and you were executing them, you decided that this this thing is new, and this this needs to be captured into a document, which eventually I believe became the book. When did you sort of, when did it strike you that it's, it's, it is to be done? B2B is boring and it doesn't have to be. So, so, <laughs> um, you know, we always have this marketing dilemma, how to know our customers better and how to drive more MQLs, obviously. And in marketing, you know, I, I haven't met any market, marketer or, you know, I'm working in any marketing department that wasn't complementary to sales. So it's always about, you know, how do you support sales? How do you drive pipeline for sales? And um, COVID changed it all. So, you know, we all had to be creative. I talk to in my research a lot of marketers out there and you get hundreds of emails from all the communities out there from all the project educational project 
this is the best lineup, five top speakers, round table, you know, the best topic about AI in sales or anything that, I don't know, GPD now, I guess. So um, you would love to attend it, but then you don't. And you would rather, you know, watch a soccer game or just spend time with your friends. Um, we're building a product behind the scenes. We build it already. Um, we talk about it a little in the book. And while doing the research for that, it was really you know, amazing to discover that Telerton marketers alike were really curious in the opposite function, but they, they, they weren't as probably confident to admit it or to try doing it. But yeah, answering your question, why the book, why then, um, it all came from the research. And when I was doing it, a lot of marketers were asking a certain set of questions, same set of questions. Everyone had the same kind of problem of driving MQLs. And, you know, since we didn't have that problem, and moreover, thanks to Justin, we partnered to 70, with 70 top sponsors in B2B using his methodology, you know, we decided why not share that knowledge and help everyone else do what we're doing already. Yeah. So I guess one of the big things too, is when you have a good idea and you start executing it, which is the case with, with Julia as an entrepreneur, I'm more of a sales operator and consultant in my background. But what I also noticed is, you know, a ton of people emulated what Julia was doing. So we saw emulation as the highest form of flattery and the book's a chance really to kind of put a, you know, plant a flag and document the innovation here. So in just, you know, sending it to the first um, publisher, we're lucky enough to to grab a deal with Wiley, which is one of the best publishers and has a lot of really good books on there. So um, as Julia was mentioning, yeah, we were able to build this thing up, chronicle it. And um, it turns out that there's a lot of staticness to, and I, we're not putting anybody else's webinars down. It's not like that. It's just like learning in a format where people interact and they do simulations and they role play and they drill has usually been kept for internal processes and companies and training programs, and you don't see it anywhere. And so to show that the coaching feedback that comes out when you have a VC on the call, you know, someone super famous in B2B is letting their hair down and just giving candid feedback, not a canned script and coaching someone and then coaching them again. It's really fast, fascinating and remarkable. Um, just got to give Julia a huge credit for, for that kind of innovation. And the dysfunctional relationship between marketing and sales is sort of in focus. Last few years, if you are looking at the discourse, that is certainly out there. Uh, some companies are innovating by creating a revenue head where everybody's reporting into they're 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 creating combined teams and so on and so forth so 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 definitely what you are pointing out is something that is getting recognition that it's it's a broken relationship and it's it's resulting in a lot of wasted time and effort it's time for a short break stay with us after the break every time you invent something you tend to you know have this feeling oh my god i just got into something it's amazing it's innovative but more often than not, it tends to be, you know, not that relevant for the customers or they're not ready for it. We're not all Steve Jobs by far. That's, I guess, the whole premise of customer centricity and customer centric events in particular. 
is flipping the script and putting your customers in a center of the action. In our case, it's sellers and marketers. So we make them the center of the event. We create competition for them. You are listening to a business podcast network original. Podcasting is the fastest growing content marketing opportunity, which is untapped. We can help you craft your audio strategy and help leverage the wide reach and easy streaming capability that the smartphone penetration provides. It is easy, it is powerful and personal. Talk to us to find out how podcasting can help you build your brand and reach out to your targets like never before. Write to us at bpn at bizcast.in that is bpn at biz. C-A-S-T dot I-N Business Podcast Network Podcasts End to End Welcome back. I'm Shubhanjan Sarkar, your host for Bits About Books and founder of Pitchlink, the buyer-seller engagement platform. Let's dive right back into the episode where we left it. Coming back to the replication idea, uh, what Justin could pull off because of he being who he is, uh, how does that... uh, I mean, according to you, how does how does another company which is today doing traditional webinars or traditional events online, how do they is, is it is it just the switch to more interactivity? Is 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 that the core idea or is it beyond that? Oh, I wanted to give this to Julia because she she coined this idea of customer centric events. So yes, we touched on the interactivity, but the book really uh, bore out something even more interesting around customer centricity. So I don't want to steal your thunder on that one, Julia. We see ourselves as the center of the universe, of the B2B universe. And we're saying that if we put ourselves out there, then, you know, it will pull customers, the attendance and everything will be amazing. And, you know, being a founder, I can 100% relate to that because every time you invent something, you tend to, you know, have this feeling, oh my God, I just got into something. It's amazing. It's innovative. But most, more often than not, it tends to be, you know, not that relevant for the customers or they're not ready for it. We're not all Steve Jobs by far. And um, that's, I guess, the whole premise of customer centricity and customer centric events in particular, is flipping the script and putting your customers in a center of the action. And, you know, in our case, it's sellers and marketers. So we make them the center of the event. We create competition for them. We are not, me and Justin, we just, you know, emceeing and we could absolutely be even not present on the game and it will run flawlessly. Um, and bring coaches, but the coaches are not, you know, the stars. There is not no feeling that everyone would listen to, like, I don't know, Aaron Ross or Marco Berge preaching their, you know, um, philosophy, sales, marketing, GTM, et cetera. But we shorten their um, learnings and lessons to 10 minutes. And then the rest of the time, it's all about the competition itself and the contestants going in a particular role play or a simulation with a coach. So the contestants are being coached, the contestants are pitching, the contestants are, you know, 
the center of everything that is happening. You still have a large section of people who are not participating, right? Because they're observing, they're not playing the game. For sure, yeah. So, so, so what what I'm hearing is that there are a few more people who are participating, but there's a lot more who are not participating. So, is it is it this is the gamification or the game part which is of interest to the audience? Because the audience is not doing much beyond observing. Uh, just correct me if I'm wrong. So the audience is doing a lot, but there is a key difference between sellers and marketers. Um, what I mean by that is that the, the whole onboarding process, our whole premise is, you know, there is no onboarding. There is no prep. You, all you need to know is your product. And that's it. You show up, you learn the lesson, and you just do it. So if we're talking with sellers, the sellers are just, oh, great. I'll just wing it. If we're talking to marketers, the marketers would prepare two weeks. They would send, you know, 20 questions additionally, watch all of the recordings, um, you know, read all of the information possible about the methodology that they would be drilling, the coach, et cetera, et cetera. And um, speaking to the audience, same happening there. We just call out random people from the audience. Do you want to become contestants right now? So sellers can dive in. They can jump in. They, they're very comfortable. But marketers, never. So that's what's happening. We're you know, It's interactive. Um, we have Q&As during you know, the time when contestants prepare their portion of the game. So yeah. So how did you actually write the book when you decided, okay, now we are there, that we have to write the book. We have to, we have to capture this. We have to put it out. Uh, this invention has to be documented, uh, and and also like in Justin's case, a lot of people, uh, you know, copy his stuff, never give him any credit. <laughs> I'm aware of all that, uh, uh, but uh, we you wanted to ensure that that does not repeat. Um, how did you actually start structuring? How when you decided to write, what was that process? Well, it happens not only to Justin, it, help, it happens to the best of us so and everyone else who is the worst of us in B2B. People just, you know, copy what they see. And um, I don't know, I would never say that after throwing one call calling competition, everyone else will copy it. Um, people copy Justin's methodology in sales. People copy, you know my colors on the website uh, or, you know, the fonts and it's crazy. And I know it's crazy to touch on that topic because before us, there was actually no black and white website in B2B. And then the other community just rebranded to exactly same font, same advertising, same everything. It's just fun. It's fun to watch. It's fun to see it's happening. And, you know, um, the whole purpose wasn't that much document that here is Justin Michael method in sales and here's, you know, Julia's concept of the event, but more um, to really help people understand what, what hype cycle is about and um, the practicality of it. Because um, from the name of the project and from the whole concept, two years, it was really hard. Um, even explain marketers and sellers what we are doing 
you can imagine if I'm bringing in Ross and he's used to, you know, podcasts like this or a webinar, um, how long would it take me to just the explanation part? Hey, it's just a two-week competition and sellers are doing marketing simulations and vice versa. So you would be judging a game where, you know, we'll have the best seller and the best marketer going in a simulation with you. Huh? That's That was the reaction every time. And um, a lot of people, they just, you know, they wanted to break the format, majority of them. They're, Let's just do like, you know, another Q&A session or another webinar. And um, they didn't realize that actually, like speaking of our audience, we grew our community in two years crazy fast. And uh, that's how we, you know, close our sponsorship deals as well, thanks to the community. Um, because of this concept that is really different and there was no other project that was doing something this kind in B2B. So it worked and we wanted to share the blueprint. Yeah, I mean, as far as the mechanics of, of structuring books, I mean, really the outline is where you kill ideas, you know, you, you write down everything you're willing to share and then you you look at all the section heads and have meetings and think, you know, what do we want to include in here? What's redundant? What's really helpful? And I think Julia's concept of customer centricity is is kind of interesting for a sales leader that's you're trying to get meetings and trying to get pattern interrupts. And so this is really um, a shift. So there, I think there was a, a lot of iterations. I mean, the process working with Wiley, it's it's like 50 hours of editing and then they have editors and we edit. So it's almost more editing than writing to to make sure there's high ideation, really high quality writing. And um, and Julia and I just really push each other to make sure we, we elevate the ideas, the synthesis, and the, the actual quality of the writing. It, like my, my last book was really flowery. There's a lot in there. <laughs> We're trying, this is a leaner, faster, uh, more concise read because it's more like utility. You read a few chapters, you go make it happen, you know, for the event. So did you sort of break up uh, the book into saying, okay, section one and two, Julia, you write, section three and four, I'll write. How, how did it go up? What was the dynamics between the two of you? So the book uh, consists of two like major chapters, marketing and sales. So what I was saying is obvious here, I you know, lined up the marketing part as I see it. Justin lined up the sales part as he sees it. And then we just went criticizing in a Google Doc each other. Just to have some comments and I made my changes, then vice versa. And yeah, and Wiley did an amazing job just, you know, smoothing it all up. And how long did you take from, from the day you decided we'll write a book to giving the manuscript to Wiley? Yeah, I mean, I really gauge books in in increments of hundreds of hours like my timeline is is fuzzy on this i just uh remember reading and rereading and rewriting uh, there's a whole section in this book about customer-led everything customer-led mm -hmm. events customer-led growth event-led growth customer-centric and that's really i think where it pushes even way beyond the subject matter to all these ways to put customers into marketing and selling as the front motion um but yeah i mean we, we've been doing this for a couple of years and, you know, building the seeds of the ideas. And we were able to come to the the publisher with a, a, a pretty well-baked treatment. So we, we got, we got a head start. 
Okay. There's a Next. lot of content, right? We have a we have 150 hours with all sorts of skeletons and like role play documents, and we sure. shared. Uh, in fact, a lot of stuff we muted that shared in there. It's like blurred out because out of respect to proprietary stuff. But sure. we actually have examples of the simulations, so people can go, "Hey, how do I do it?" And there's there's like 15 examples in there that someone could be inspired by. Sure. Sure. Let's dive into the book itself. So your first section is on design, build, and execute. That That's the one you're referring to earlier. What should people expect to get from that section? It's more like everything in marketing. If it's a good marketing, it's different marketing, right? So the biggest message there for all marketers out there is, you know, we all know that we have to be customer-centric and um Customer centricity as a concept very rarely turns into something tactical or how do you actually do it? It's more, you know, philosophical um, kind of musings. So we try to make it as useful as possible. And it starts with, you know, if you want to be customer centric, you have to become the customer's friend. And how do you scale that friendship? You have, how do you become a friend without ever talking to your Friend, right, and that's the paradox that all B two B marketers live in. We never talk to our customers. Um, we text them. We analyze the data. Um, you know, we can listen to sales conversations, but we actually never actually connect. And um, that's the biggest message of that chapter: is you know, try to connect. Try to you can call them. You can you know, zoom in. Whatever is more comfortable, but you know you can you don't have to expect to connect to the person for the first time ever and to immediately get all the answers and get to know them and pitch them your product and convert them and you know transfer that person's sales. So the whole philosophy is understand their reality and people never never actually tell you the truth immediately. You have to uncover it, obviously. So first conversation, if you, you know, ask your customers, oh, are you ready for, you know, guided selling? Obviously, they will tell you, yeah, it's really interesting. We do realize that we need to, you know, implement something like that in our organization. But when you transition into the money question, how much are you actually willing to pay for it? they stumble they don't know what to say so you have to understand that truth to stop you have to lead that conversation and once you understand the pattern by having enough conversations with your potential customers you can break that pattern but just in that in sales like pattern interrupts in messaging we can do it in marketing too and product but i have i have one question and i'd like to know from both of you you know, customer centricity is not new. Uh, Customer.com was written during the first dot-com boom in 2000. Okay. A uh, lot of changes, the lot of shifts that have happened. Uh, there, are, there are many indicators of, of, of the dialogue shifting from sales to buying. Right? So, I mean, including Gartner's huge report about you know, buyers being in charge and so on. I, I'll not go into that. But my question to you is, as long as we call them customers, 
we are still doing a sales out vision you are you think of a customer you are thinking like a salesperson and to be customer centric you possibly need to think from their point of view so are we losing something there when we say we want to be customer centric i'm really curious what justin has to say but i'll have to respectfully disagree here um when i think about customer i think about customer success and i think about that function and how can i serve my customers better the brightest example is amazon so it's not a relationship where you know we are equal it's a relationship where i'm serving you it's a relationship where that is like as it is it's transactional but not in a in a bad sense of that word but more in a in a sense where you pay you would have some expectation towards or you know directed to the product or service you receive for that price so to me that word means that i have to you know target an expectation and make it successful well i i think the point that's being missed here is we can all talk about customer centricity but turn on 500 go google 500 webinars and every webinar is someone from that company or a famous speaker. There are no customers on any of the webinars, any of the podcasts. But if you go to a user event like a Dreamforce, you see the customers. I used to work for Salesforce and we just put the customers up on stage. So kudos to them. But you're not seeing this a lot in event formats. It's like, who's the most impressive? Who are the C-levels in our own company? Look at me. And that's where flipping the camera makes it really interesting, right? So if I was promoting my method, wouldn't you rather hear someone who successfully implemented it in a similar business to yours? And I think that's what Julia really fleshed out. So, you know, variations on an old theme, but the event space is very much like people, like say this in the book, people multitask webinars. They put it on the background, <laughs> like Muzak, and then they like crush email while they're doing it. They don't even remember or retain, you know? So we're trying to pull the audience you know, hitting them up in Slack, people, it's really interactive. And so, yeah, that's, that's, I think, the tactical element of bringing that to fruition. This is great. I mean, that's, that's the whole idea, right? The, the, the discussion is to bring out perspectives. And, and I think, I think I get yours. So, so great. So let's, let's move on to section two, but tell me about the monetization piece. Why do you talk about monetization? Why is it important? Just, um, Justin, I'm curious to hear from you, but Essentially, monetization in our book, it's not, you know, monetization for entrepreneurs. How do you make money out of events? Um, that's a little misleading. Uh, the whole chapter is more about sales and how do you, you know, transition and how do you cover that gap between marketing and sales um, more smoothly, so to say. Because what's happening in B2B, I would attend an event and immediately after, now it's happening even with, you know, posts on LinkedIn. I would like a post and I would receive three emails. Oh, you like Kyle Lacey post. Amazing. Now I can sell you. So it feels like, you know, pitch slapping and obviously you won't react. So that was the goal of that chapter is how do we, you know, communicate the value and how do we cover that gap? to make that interaction less transactional and more meaningful. Justin, what do you say? Right on. Yeah. I mean, after every event, 
the either head of demand gen, if SDRs were to marketing, or the head of sales, like, okay, call the warm MQLs. And then you just get this barrage of calls, which were like, see that you attended the webinar. Do you want to try our data product or whatever it is, right? So people are throwing webinars to try to get MQLs, try to get pipelines, try to get revenue. And then like the onboarding, what the event is in the aftermath, it's actually preventing pipeline. <laughs> so monetization is like, you know, how do you make money off events, uh, sellers or marketers or rev ops and fix this problem? And I think we tackled that successfully. Let's, let's talk about uh, recession proofing your event vision. Because we are, whether we agree to it or not, we are in a recession in, in various forms, in various parts of the world. Uh, sentiments are definitely down. Uh, purse strings are being uh, tightened. Uh, people are getting laid off. So th the environment is not great. Uh, when you talk about recession-proofing your event vision, what is it that you are trying to uh, communicate? The main message is that if virtual events are here to stay, and once people get used to, you know, their comfort living, they realize that they don't have to be based, you know, in San Francisco or in New York, they can be wherever they want to be and still, you know, build their business successfully. Um, it requires a real effort to invite someone to an in-person experience now. It has to be either extremely narrow focused on a certain problem with the best of the best, you know, group of people that you want to be with. Um, or it has to be something massive like Dreamforce, the next web, summit, something like really huge. So similarly with virtual events, um, you have to be either super narrow focused in a recession. Um, on customers' problem and, you know, have no, almost no competition within that segment, or you have to be really huge. Our research shows that projects that are in the middle, they don't tend to, you know, outlive the recession. So a part of this is the old model of, you know, there's a bull market and business is booming. And then we just talk to our existing customers, you know, quarterly or right before they're going to renew a great way to invest in your existing business is to do these virtual events and make your existing customers a star it increases affinity they feel heard they, there's you can brainstorm you know product features you can bring your technical people on your customers there can be this this thing you don't normally see a conversation that you never see happen is now happening on a webinar versus Let's interview our CTO and let's share one case study. So I think that's a way to improve the existing side. Not my forte, really, although <laughs> in recession, we're all going to have to learn how to be better to our existing customers, right? The fact is, and Julia, you are the marketeer here, so you know, people find comfort in doing what everybody else is doing. And that's exactly what you should not be doing. <laughs> <laughs> and I totally get when you say that you go really narrow focus, do something and nobody else is doing or go, go so large, the size itself gives you the prominence that you, that you'd get it. It makes total sense. But, um, but, uh, but, but you'd see how many actually do it. And that will be an interesting thing to check. Right. 
uh, how many really narrow focused events happen after this book and how many really large ones happen which actually stand out because the cacophony even on linkedin justin knows you guys do so much of content there it's like unbelievable it's the amount of noise out there right <laughs> coming back to gtm games i mean that that's really something that that you guys have done and i, I think it's, it's outstanding what are the lessons really what are the top of the line lessons that you have from the games that you have uh, conducted so far for me the biggest lesson was with i guess alice Hyman. so we invited her to be a coach and um it was a cold calling simulation. And so obviously people got ready the night off and she came in and the first thing that she says, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm a CEO. I'm not answering, you know, call calls. So you have to be creative. You have five minutes, come up with a, you know, way to capture my attention and to convert me. And so we had six contestants. And four out of six were still cold calling her. So it's funny and it's not, but it really reflects the reality that we live in, you know, by not being present and, you know, as a vendor, as, you know, marketers and sellers alike, we're thinking about ourselves and what we have to answer, what we have to do versus listening to the person who is in front of you. What about you, Justin? Yeah, I, I don't know if we're running low on time, but one of the things I love about working with Julia is just one insight, right? We're all looking for that insight. You might read 10 books and find one little nugget in there. So again, Julia, if you want to explain this one, but sort of that voyeuristic nature that every seller secretly is actually interested in what marketers do, but marketers are interested in what sellers do because there's this artificial wall that's existed for so long. And so when marketers are asked to cold call, they freak out, go talk to their sales leaders, over-prepare, write scripts. And then like when sellers are asked to do marketing, they just wing it. As, as Julia said, I don't know, Julia, can you elaborate that? Because it's incredible insight in writing the book. I thought that was like the most head-exploding one of why the series worked. Yeah. So we're creating a product behind the scenes for marketers, for sellers, for go-to-market teams. And uh, we had to do a lot of customer interviews and potential customer obviously interviews within a focus group and you know as it turned out we're not alone and really sellers and marketers have this curiosity in the opposite function and they can never explain why they are you know asset seller or a marketer it almost you know by accident or they had some experience with marketing and or in sales, and then they somehow transition into the opposite function or whatever. Once they're there, um, especially I spent a decade in marketing and I, you know, wore every possible hat from a copywriter to a CMO, always, you know, early stage companies. And once I had an experience uh, reporting to a VP of sales, and I was the only marketer in that startup. And so every question that I would ask, I would feel myself so awkward because they let you know that, you know, you've got to think, you know, harder next time you ask a question. So um, by that skepticism, there is this wall that alignment is impossible because there is no growth mindset. And um, 
that's, you know, the whole premise of the book is to cultivate that. And if even for your organization, you can take the BP of sales and the CMO. The CMOs and, and sellers, it's very similar. You know, show me another, like a seller that we respect marketing team. They would always think that we sellers, you know, we are the revenue team. We drive like the core of this business and marketers are sort of like this creative unicorn living behind the wall. So um, to change that, we really need to take the CMO, the VP of sales and cross-train folks in your organization just internally. So you can create your own GDM games, you know, with your CMO putting your sales team into, you know, simulation, um, how to copyright, how to do customer research, how to, you know, be more visible on LinkedIn so you can drive pipeline and vice versa. Marketers, how do you talk to customers? How do you actually, you know, not live only staring at your analytics and, you know, never talking to customers, et cetera, et cetera, millions of drills, but centrally. Bits About Books is brought to you by Pitchlink, the buyer-seller engagement platform. Pitchlink makes buying easy by enabling high-quality engagement between buyers and sellers through its presentation and discussion modules. Sellers create customized sales narratives using sales collaterals and personal videos and reach out to prospects through a non-intrusive buyer-qualified engagement. Pitchlink requires no installation or download and holds the entire repository of sales collaterals and buyer-seller conversations. Talk to us to know more about how you can engage with customers without intuition. Call us on 99021-631-32. Justin, Julia, thank you so much for, for joining me today and, and talking about your book. Uh, I think... Uh, it was a delightful session. It was a learning session. Uh, I totally enjoyed talking to both of you. And uh, I wish you all the very best with the book. And I look forward to the next one. Shameless plug, go to reinventingvirtualevents.com. Cleverly hidden and uh, sold worldwide. Should be out in every country now, uh, hopefully soon. We have a fantastic lineup over the next couple of episodes with great conversations on breakthrough books. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you do not miss a single episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being with us today on Bits About Books, where we talk to authors about breakthrough books on sales, marketing, and business. We hope this conversation helped inform and motivate as we all navigate a rapidly changing business environment. For us, these are enlightening conversations enriched with knowledge and expertise. We encourage you to go out and buy the book to learn firsthand and implement some of the great ideas we discussed today. We hope to have you with us again in the next exciting episode of Bits About Books. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify or wherever else you get your podcast from and give us a rating while you are at it. This BizCast original podcast is produced for Pitchlink, the next generation buyer-seller engagement platform, where the mission is to make buying easy. Hosted by Subhanjan Sarkar and produced by Rajiv Aditya. See you next time and have a wonderful day.